0: Hmm. Recorded live. Welcome to the weekly Lawfully Yours talk shoe call. My name is Al Whitney. I'm the host of the Anti-Corruption Society website. And I'm also the host of the In Defense of Humanity program on Republic Broadcasting Network every Saturday night, eight o'clock central I'm sorry, eight o'clock Eastern time. 7 o'clock Central Time. Uh, um, in October 2014, the Anti Corruption Society.com released its first edition of Lawfully Yours, the People's Empowerment Guide to Our Corporate Commercial Legal System. It can be located on the Anti Corruption Society website by selecting the Lawfully Yours tab at the top of the page. Since its release, 46,000 people have viewed the Lawfully Yours page and countless others have downloaded the guide or ordered spiral-bound copies. If you haven't read it yet, please do so. It lays out a bit of American history that was not taught in our history books regarding the transformation of the United States from a constitutional republic into the corporate commercial enterprise it is today. For all practical purposes, the law of the land in America is the law merchant, or the Uniform Commercial Code. There is an explanation as to how this came about on the Anti-Corruption society.com website in the article, The Real Law of the Land in America, with excerpts, from, uh, by attorney Melvin Stamper, the author of an absolute must-read book called Fruit from a Poisonous Tree. If you wish to familiarize yourself with the general provisions of the Uniform Commercial Code, go to the anticorruptionsociety.com website, click on the source documents page, and scroll down to the item named UCC Article one general provisions. The UCC is the law of contracts which are superior to any other form of law in our courts. The system of law is based on a signed contracts and agreements and b presumption of facts. Tonight is the second in a series of calls designed to discuss the multiple strategies laid out in the Lawfully Yours guide. And tonight we're going to talk about the government corporation employee questionnaire. Once people comprehend that all our governments are now corporate, they're corporations, they're all members of a vast network of corporations starting with the federal corporation moving on through the states, the counties, and the municipalities. This change has taken place over many years. Now, once you understand they're all corporations, then you get a different point of view and how best to deal with them. The government corporation employee questionnaire is designed for people to print out and have ready, should any of these employees approach you, knock on your door, and request either admission into your house or information or anything else. So I'm gonna read through it and then we'll talk a little bit more about when and how you can use this form. Incidentally, it is available as a template on the uh, Lawfully Years page. Scroll down and we do have a a link to templates and Word documents. Okay. First and foremost, we state the Public Law 93579. It states in part, the purpose of this act to provide certain safeguards for an individual against invasion of personal privacy by requiring government agencies to permit an individual to determine what records or documents pertaining to him or her are collected, maintained, used, or disseminated by such agencies. The following questions are based on that act, government prohibitions regarding identity theft and recognition of the commercial statutes that define your employment. Again, this is written for the government employees, <clears throat> and it is written to be handed to this individual. The first question that you're going to ask is about the identity of this employee, um, and, and the section says my identification per your records, and there's a space there, number one. It says my name as it appears in your file. This is so that you have a, a, the name of the individual who approached you. It's amazing how much additional accountability you can achieve by having the first and last name of the individual that you're dealing with. My address, as it appears in your file. Now, that's another thing. They have your address, but they may have your address wrong. There are people who have been approached by these employees, and they were at the wrong address. So asking them to fill in your address, according to their records, can alleviate confusion. Number three, my legal status is listed in your files. They may or may not know how to answer that question, but asking it is certainly important. Are they gonna have you listed as a US citizen? Are they gonna have you listed as a resident? How is it that they have you listed in their records? It's important to know that. The next section, is for the government corporation employee to give you his information. A, his full legal name. That's number four. Number five, the address of his residence. Now, it's unlikely that he will give that information to you, but there's nothing wrong with asking for it. The badge or employee ID number. If they wear a badge and they almost all have name tags that they have to wear, they almost All have employee ID numbers, so they should be able to to give that to you. Their job title is number seven, employee job title. Number eight, employee phone number. How can you reach him if you want to call him and ask any questions about the encounter? Number nine, name of the government corporation that employs you. Please use the legal all-caps name as listed on Dun & Bradstreet. They may or may not understand that. Um, but there's nothing wrong with asking it. They do know who employs them, though, the state of something or the municipality of something or the county of something. That information they should all be able to provide. The name of the department, bureau, or agency of that corporation that employs you. Now you're asking for specific information. In what division does he work? The name of his supervisor, Again, we're bringing in accountability. If they can function without any accountability, it's amazing how badly they can behave. That's number 11, the name of the supervisor. Number 12, the supervisor's mailing address. Now, that would be the office, most likely, where both the employee and the supervisor work, so he ought to have that information. The supervisor's phone number, that's number 13. Again, he should be able to provide that information for you. Number 14, the name of the department head. And if you've ever encountered, encountered some of these employees, they much prefer you cannot follow up on problems with their superiors. By asking for this information before the encounter, on some level you're going to ensure that the encounter goes much smoother because now they know that you are able to go over their head and report any problems that occur. Number 15, the department head's mailing address is different from the supervisor's. Number 16, the department head's phone number. This is all valuable information, and it is likely that they may not want to provide it for you, but there is nothing wrong with you asking for it. Um, and the last section is the statutory identification. All of these employees across the board in this country um, are governed by the statutes that control what they can and cannot do within their agency network. Now, in Ohio, in most states, there's two levels of statutory code. One is the uh, revised code or the code that the legislators pass. And the other one is the code that's called the administrative code. That's what happens is when a law is passed, quote, a statute is passed, not a law. Okay, it is then signed into law by the governor and then it is turned over to the agency that's going to implement it. When it gets into the agency level, they take the, the law as it was written or the statute, and they write their own series of codes as how best to implement it. What's shocking to many people is that frequently the administrative code that's written for the employees is in conflict with the statutory code. In other words, they may have grants that they're trying to fulfill. They may have other agendas. So they will take the the statute that was passed by the legislature, and the agency will look at that and do do its best to implement performance standards that help them accomplish both goals, meeting the statute and whatever grant or whatever policies are in place. It's important to know what the statute is because that's the only way we're going to ferret out when there's a discrepancy. They are, in theory, they're not allowed that discrepancy. But since most people don't know about this problem, we don't catch them on it and we don't demand any kind of performance standards. We just let them do whatever they want. And I've gotten that information directly from an employee uh, who worked for the Ohio EPA for 20 years. As an insider, he made that clear that that's what's going on. I don't even think the attorneys in this country understand how these agencies really function. You, you must talk to agency employees to get the details. So the first thing you want to know from this agent is the statutory identification number, the date That's number 17, the name, the number, and effective date that generated this encounter. Again, they are controlled by statutory codes, by statutory law. So that's an important item to know. If they don't know it, then they really have no authority to be there at all. Number 18, are you aware of a document with my original signature that obligates me to adhere to this corporate statute of your employer? That's an important question. It's unlikely they can answer it, but it's important that you ask it. Okay? Because you're going to build a foundation to challenge them if necessary. Um, Number 19, what is the name of this document? And number 20, under penalty of perjury, please attest by signing below that you have personally seen this document and can attest to its validity. And right there is a line for their signature and the date. Now, that's where they're gonna be stumped. They probably don't know what it is. They haven't seen it. Um, They can't swear under penalty of perjury that they have. So now you've got an issue with this individual, this employee standing at your door. You are asking a very reason you're handing him a reasonable questionnaire trying to get information of what all of this is about and whether or not he's got the authority to be there, and he is under the presumption that no one is going to ask him or her whether or not they've got the authority to be there, so we've gotten some feedback where they just simply don't want to fill it out and return it to you um so be prepared if you're going to give them this. Never be belligerent. Always, always be pleasant. Um, And it can go either way. They can either respond and give you the information. They can say, well, I don't have this information. Let me get it and I'll come back. Or they can say, I have no obligation to answer this questionnaire. Be prepared for any of the three responses. (laughs) The one that would cause a conflict between you and the employee would be, I don't have to answer your questions. And that's when you have to be prepared if you're going to use this form, which we strongly recommend. You have to be prepared, well, I'm sorry, that's unfortunate, um, but without having this information about your employment and your authority to be here, I can't really engage in a conversation with you, nor can I allow you into my onto my property or into my house. Um, and if you change your mind, government employee, come back and we'll, we'll talk again. Now, it's hard to say what they're going to do at that point, but you have denied consent, and that's the important thing. If they're not going to give you the information you need to determine If their encounter with you is legitimate and if they have the authority to do what they're attempting to do, um, you know, they don't have the right to to break in unless, unless it's a police power incident. Unfortunately, we do have police across the country who've been known to break and enter into even the wrong house in SWAT team style and cause damage and harm and injury to the residents. This has happened, uh, John Whitehead, on his Rutherford Institute website. You can go there and see. He has been following this this police state that's ever-growing, and uh, he's been reporting on some of these incidents. But nevertheless, we can't presume that they're going to just come in and break down your door if... um, You hand them the questionnaire. If they don't get in, there, I I don't think we should assume they'll break down the door. I think this is very reasonable. It's not belligerent. You're being cooperative, and that is where we always recommend people start. Start being cooperative and pleasant. Once you go into belligerence, then you can expect even more trouble and an escalation, and that's not what you want. So I recommend who would you use this for? Well, we're recommending if, let's just say, someone reported a problem to CPS. And this can happen, this is an important issue. Anybody can call CPS on anybody else and make any kind of a claim. And generally, they're obligated to investigate. So if it's a CPS agent that is there Um, take that incident very seriously, hand them the questionnaire, be very cooperative, but it is important that this CPS agent, okay, provides you with the information, never let them in the house. Without all of this information, and even then, once you figure out why they're there, okay, there's other responses, keep them away from your children, because in theory, they have no rights. I know Lawful Ears talks about that, so if you haven't read Lawful Ears, I'd advise you to read it ASAP. In theory, they do not have control over your children. In theory, they have, because it's all UCC, they have control over the child's birth certificate, not the child. But because we aren't told that, because we don't understand that, All too often we have been surrendering our children into their custody when we shouldn't be. So that's a good example of a use of the questionnaire. Another good example might be um, an inspection by some city worker. And if you have no idea why they're there, you can use this questionnaire. So again, it's important to have information about the employee that is requesting access to you or your property now this template is written so that you can modify it to suit your own needs if you're going to use it you should really understand what's on it and why you're asking these questions if you don't understand all of it then you can put your own questions in that you that would make sense to you the concept is to bring accountability back into the system. Right now, what is missing across the board is accountability. Even if you call the city and ask for information, they're gonna want all the information about you and they're gonna wanna give you as little as they can about themselves. So we've gotta try to make this an even playing field. If you're gonna have information about me, I want to know if it's correct, and then I want to know who the bleep you are, and I want the details of your employment so I can hold you accountable should you be violating your own rules. I think we're way past the time when we can presume that they're going to follow the rules. There's too many stories out there of um, government employees that have violated all kinds of rules, and they do so, according to my friend, who, again, was a former employee of the EPA. The reason they're so apt to violate the rules is they've been getting by with it. He said nobody holds them accountable. And so they they just get more and more assertive, and they get more and more confident that they're not going to be held accountable. Whatever they do, they can do, and nobody will complain. Again, on some level, folks, that's our fault. We have all been trained to follow rules. And we've all been trained that that we should follow government rules. And this has caused this horrific mess we're in right now because we haven't been asking questions all along. Sadly, if you've never had any problems with these employees, um, you may think this is moot and that's what's happened across the country everywhere. If you've never been in court, you don't think there's any problems in court. If you've never encountered CPS officially, you think there's no problems in CPS. It's it's across the board. One of the problems we have is these things aren't don't end up in the media. These incidents happen, people get harmed, people get injured, people get abused. Because it's not in the media, we don't really know how how often these things occur. So we all have our wonderful little lives and we move along thinking everything's fine. Unfortunately, it takes an encounter before you wake up and say, well, we've got a big problem. So uh, again, I recommend everybody read Lawfully Yours. I I recommend that all the listeners start to wrap their head around the fact that um, the Constitution is not the law of the land. The Uniform Commercial Code is the law of the land. And we are signing contracts and agreements every day, and we don't even realize that there are presumptions in those contracts and agreements that we are agreeing to. And that, if you read those general provisions, that would be a good place to start because they're all described there. How the UCC works is described in uh, UCC Article 1-General Provisions. And just as a reminder, there is a section in here about presumption. Let me read it real quick because this is what's happening. We sign agreements, we allow people into our house, we give them jurisdiction, we are unaware that there are presumptions going on in the background that that no one has told us about so one of the provisions in general provisions in UCC article 1 is number 1 section 1-206 called presumptions and this is what it says whenever the uniform commercial code creates a presumption with respect to a fact or provides that a fact is presumed, the trier of fact must find the existence of the fact unless and until evidence is introduced that supports a finding of its non-existence. The trier of the fact would be the court or the judge. The presumption will stand unless there's evidence introduced That supports a finding of its non existence. Now, this questionnaire, this government corporate employee questionnaire, if presented and filled out, even if presented and they decline filling it out, serves to kill a presumption. And what is the presumption it serves to kill? That you voluntarily granted them jurisdiction to enter your home or to communicate with them. The presumption will mean that you volunteered, and that's how they will tell the story, but he volunteered unless you have some evidence that you did not volunteer. And this questionnaire would be the evidence you could produce to verify that you did not volunteer. What you did instead is you requested validation of who they were and by what authority they're encountering you. I hope everybody understands that. Once you get the fact that it's UCC and all of this is presumptive, then you'll see why these strategies and lawfully yours are there, and they're there to help you rebut presumption Until they re- the Constitution, which I don't think we can hold our breath, um, this is what we've got. This is what we're dealing with. And we have to be proactive to protect ourselves, understand what the system is, and use strategies to bring back accountability into a system that's functioning on presumptions behind the scenes. So that's all for this week call um i thank people for listening and we will proceed with this series next week um i will post the topic on on this talk show when i schedule the call the topic will be posted and um the information tonight that we talked about again the government corporation employee questionnaire can be located in the lawfully yours guide Um, It's listed in the index, you can read it, you can get a a hold of a template if you wanna change and alter it to suit whatever purpose that you're trying to to achieve. Um, And again, I encourage people to read the guide and to read the UCC general provisions. As a starting place, things can get quite complicated in this world When they have a dual legal system, we think the legal system has to do with justice, and we find out the hard way our legal system has to do with commerce, not justice. Sadly, many people have been harmed. Many people, innocent people, have been imprisoned because we are unaware that by stealth in the 50s and 60s, the Uniform Commercial Code was brought into every state in this country, and it is now the UCC that governs our courts, governs our statutes. In fact, the judges referred to the the laws, quote, unquote, they're not really laws, that the corporate states pass called statutes. They're called statutes because they're corporate rules for the corporate state. And that means that all the courts are there to enforce them, and that is what is called statutory law. Other people call it law merchant, but in essence, they call it statutory law to confuse the public. So you don't really understand that it has nothing, nothing to do with justice and everything to do with commerce. So thank you for being on the call, and uh, I hope you you know, got some information out of it, and I invite you to join us uh, next week when we have another call, and I also invite the listeners to um, listen to the show In Defense of Humanity on Saturday nights. Uh, we talk a lot about this information. Uh, all the time we're talking about our legal system on that program, and we do other topics as well, but there, there is an opportunity for people to call in on the show with questions and comments as well. So I hope perhaps you join me on this coming Saturday night on Republic Broadcasting Network. And uh, have a nice evening, and I hope you're enjoying the fall as much as I am. Good night.